You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Well, I've always had a bit of a gift for drawing, of all things. Any artists in the room? There's like, okay, guess it's just me. Uh, and it was, you know, just something that always just kind of came natural to me, drawing, you know. But drawing is pretty straightforward. Pencil, charcoal, it's grayscale. You, you know, there's not a lot of nuance color-wise to grayscale. So I was always intimidated when it came to paint. I just stayed away from painting because you got to mix all those colors. It's like the level of skill required to render an image in any way that's meaningful with paint is just like a hundred times more than drawing, I think. So I stayed away from it. But uh, more recently, I'm like, I need to develop, I need to, you know, develop my skill and a hobby. So I, I expanded a bit into the painting world, all right? And so like anyone without much time, skill, or budget, I did the obviously intelligent thing, and I went to YouTube and started watching tutorials. You know, that's, YouTube's great. Helps me fix my car, helps me learn how to paint. It's great. So I start watching these tutorials, and immediately I'm just like, wow, this is intense. There's some incredible stuff. Even if you're not into painting, to just watch somebody paint an oil painting is awesome. But, um, but I learned, you know, you start with fruit, you start with simple things. And so can I do a little show and tell and show you my best painting ever? All right, this is the best I've ever done, uh, and, and here it is. It's apples. Hey, thank you. You're all waiting for it to be terrible, weren't you? You're like... Awkward, you were waiting for an awkward sauce moment of like, oh, he thinks it's great and it's not. Anyway, so I would call this perfectly mediocre. This is not going in a museum anywhere. It's not meaningful. It's just two apples. It's whatever. I know, I get it, right? Because I'm a perfectly mediocre average beginner in oil painting, right? So anyway, but, but I learned a ton with, I have been learning a ton when it comes to painting because like to get something to look even remotely real or interesting, there's this process you have to go through that you just don't in the same way with sketching and drawing the way I've been doing it. You have to add layers. Like if you watch people who are really good, they, 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 before they get into anything interesting, they start just moving around the canvas in what looks like a nonsensical way. They're just like dabbing some, some color here. They're, it's called blocking a picture in. Can I show you a picture of what a, a, a true artist can do and the two different levels, the blocking level and then the finished product, all right? Let me show you a picture of that here on the next slide. All right, so on the left, you could see kind of this uninteresting, I mean, it's pretty cool, I couldn't even do this yet, right? But this sort of uninteresting flat picture and when you watch somebody creating a painting from scratch, you'll see them just throwing a, this uninteresting color you know, pattern down, and then they'll just kind of move around, move around, move around. But as they go, they just keep adding layer after layer after layer, and they start moving out into something more detailed with this depth, almost a light that comes out of it, and it's compelling, right? I can't do that. Uh, uh, not yet. That takes a ton of skill. Are you super enthralled? <laughs> Welcome to Emmanuel. We're going to do a teaching uh, a class on painting. No, I'm bringing this up for a reason. Because we're about to start uh, a, a huge series moving through the last big portion of the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for a good long while. And we're about to step into the remainder of Romans 12 through 15. And, and why do I bring up paintings? Because what Paul is doing in Romans 12 through 15 and 16, I'm going to argue, is he's shifting from giving a theological dialogue in 1 through 11 to painting us a picture of what it looks like if we really believed everything we've talked about in 1 through 11. Can I remind us of where we've been in the series so far? Let's take a look at the outline real quick. 
All right, the outline of the book of Romans, you've seen this if you've been here for a while, you've seen this outline multiple times. We started with sin, we moved through salvation, sanctification, that's Romans one through eight. The gospel, the power of God revealed, all right, so that we could have life as we move from faith to faith in Christ Jesus, right? Uh, it's, it's the power of God for salvation and, and it speaks to the deepest parts of our identity and who we are. If we can internalize the truth of Romans one through 11 and specifically in so many ways when it comes to who we are, Romans one through eight, that is life-changing, right? And so that's what Paul's been trying to say all along in this sort of discourse, question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. It kind of has been this linear conversation that's content-oriented, and we've gotten into that rhythm together. But what you gotta be careful of in this series is you might take that expectation into his application section, Romans 12 through 16, and just and end up doing what so many Christians often do, and they reduce application to rules, laws to follow. And, they, and it's so easy to miss that that's just not a proper rendering of, of what applied gospel looks like. And so instead of sticking with the question-answer dialogue, the linear, logical, sequential information of the first half of the book, he's going to pivot completely, throw down the pencil, and pick up a paintbrush and begin moving around a canvas and, sh- and painting us a picture of what it would look like for you and for me if we really believed it, what we would do, what it would look like if the gospel was coming out of us. Am I making sense? All right, so let me summarize. Pastor Denny, did, I loved when he did this a few weeks back. Uh, he said, hey, a way to simplify this outline is to just think of it in two moves, right? His word and our walk. One through 11, his word, that theological dialogue, and our walk. He's, he, I love these words. Orthodoxy is straight or proper thinking. Orthopraxy is straight or proper living. Practice. Right? So that's one way to break down the book. And we're about to step into that second half of the conversation. The, the picture of what it looks like to practice. To, if I really believed this, this is what would start to come out of me. Not because I'm you know, following the rules. If I need, let me say this, I will say this over and over again as we go in the series. If I need rules to do the right thing, I have not properly absorbed the gospel. If I need guidelines, rules, check boxes to follow and to hold myself to, then I have not been transformed inside. If I need an external structure to make me do the right thing, I have a lot of ground to take still. I am not mature. So the rules come off the more mature we get as we begin to operate from the internal law of love when the gospel takes root in my heart. Make sense? So two big thoughts for this series before we dive in. The first is this. The gospel absorbed is the gospel applied. The gospel absorbed is the gospel applied. Romans 12 to 15 is gonna give us a picture, a painting of what it looks like when someone is transformed by the love of Christ. Not a religious person who's trying to follow rules, someone who is now qualitatively different and mature in Christ. In other words, if I'm not living out of a rule inside of me, a value system that's gospel-driven that yields genuine love, then I have not absorbed the gospel fully. I'm not saying I'm not saved. I'm saying I'm not mature yet. I haven't fully absorbed one through 11, okay? 
That's, I know that's a heavy thing to say to a lot of us, isn't it? But it's true. I aspire to be someone who doesn't need rules to do the right thing. And the second big thought is this. Paul's applications may seem disorganized because he's going to jump all over. The conversation, I mean, next week, it's going to be like this rapid fire, this, 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 this. And they're all kind of like, they could feel really disorganized, right? His applications may seem disorganized at first, but there's a purpose to his approach in Romans 12 to 15. He's applying the rule of gospel love to specific challenges his original readers were facing in their time and their place, but challenges we still face today. So, it might seem like, especially when you're used to this linear conversation, that he's just jumping all over the place. What are you doing, Paul? Well, think less in terms of expecting a linear theology book and more in terms of seeing him as a painter who's like throwing color on the canvas here, a little blocking over here, adding a layer here to give us an image. That's what he's doing. There's a method to his madness, okay? Got it? You ready to dive in? Okay, because we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12, verses three through eight today. All right, the six verses that I would say are the first and most important layer of his application painting. Just a short passage, and it's easy to skip past it because there's a lot, especially if you grew up in the church, there's a lot of yeah, 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 I know. That's really easy because like we've heard it. But again, the, hearing it is one thing, but absorbing it is another. This is the longest 18 inches in the world, isn't it? Between knowing that my wife really likes flowers and appreciating that fact enough to actually continually go get her flowers and want to. Is it just me, guys? Okay, it's the longest 18 inches in the world. Hearing the gospel, I can regurgitate John 3.16 over and over and over again. I can regurgitate a ton of scripture. Doesn't mean I've absorbed it. I know I've absorbed it when it comes out of my life. Naturally. That's the Holy Grail. That's what I'm after. That's transformation into the image of Jesus. And that's what this, in the spirit of God, God tells us is possible in Christ. Okay, so Romans 12, three through eight. Let me read it for you real quickly. I, I, uh, just, just listen as I read it, okay? It's gonna be this. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Now again, this, this can be something that we, we, it's so easy to just skate past. Yeah, yeah, I've heard it before, but again, let me just emphasize to you, I think that if, if you skip past Romans 12, three through eight, and just try to jump to the meat of more interesting things, what you're doing, you're gonna end up with a flat painting. You're gonna end up with a picture that doesn't work because the layer you need to tie together and make sense of and bring value to everything else Paul's about to say about our application of Romans is this layer. It's fundamental. He's gonna start with the most basic fundamental issues we need to get our head around if we're gonna appreciate and live out the rest. Have I emphasized that enough? Okay, you wanna dive in with me? Okay, he's gonna do this in three moves. In just a few verses, he's gonna make three big moves. And the first move is this. He's gonna talk about our attitude. 
He's going to say that we need to have a renewed view of ourselves. The gospel dictates that we have a renewed view of ourselves. And then he's going to attack the approach. Out of that renewed view, we're going to have a new approach, a renewed concept of community. A new sense and orientation to what it means to be in relationship to other people in the Christian community. And then if I can get those two things squared away in how I think, my view of myself, my view of community, then that's going to yield a new way of acting in relationship to other people, a new action, a new way of relating to the people in the Christian community. You follow? That's what he's about to do. Let's dig in. So first, the attitude, Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Did you see the repeated word there? Think. And if you were here last week, that's not a surprise. Because what Paul said in the fulcrum verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that Pastor Denny shared with us last weekend, those are the fulcrum verses from orthodoxy to orthopraxy, right here, that, that call to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. What he said there was, in Romans 12, 3, or 12, 2, he says something really interesting. His, his launch point for the living out of the gospel is that we be transformed by the renewing of our minds, the way we think. That's how we are transformed by, and, and by the way, when he says the way you think, you got to understand Americans hear the word think and we think cranial, frontal lobe, logical information. That's not how Paul or any Bible reader thinks or writer thinks about thinking. When they say think, they mean the whole process from here to here, all the way down to what you really believe. And you, if, you want, you, if you think that you can just decide that you believe something different at your core, good luck. The things you really believe are formed over years of trial and failure, pain, forged by pain, forged by success, forged by relationships and experiences. What you really believe is not something that changes on a dime. You need the spirit of God and a process of change and transformation, trial and error, to adjust what you really think about things. And that's what Paul's calling us to do is enter into a process of transformation about what we really believe when he says to think differently by the renewing of your mind. To the, to the Romans, the mind isn't just here. In fact, when they think of mind, more often they're locating it here. Got it? It's the seat of our emotions, the seat of everything. It's what you truly believe. So he gives us in 12.3, he gives us two big words, two key words that actually match in the Greek. They're very similar in the Greek. And the first is, he says, think, uh, think of him, don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Thinking of yourself more highly, that's one. And the other is that we need to think with sober judgment. So the very first air of renewal Paul gives us and he addresses is gonna be an attitude about ourselves. The way we think about ourselves. This is the first layer of paint, it's critical. The way you view yourself is gonna dictate and determine how you relate to everything else he's about to say. And if you can't get that straight, if I can't get that straight, we're just gonna be wallowing around in confusion trying to apply the rest of this stuff. Think of yourself, don't think of yourself more highly, think of yourself with sober judgment. Just those two big words. And so um, they're, they're parallel opposites in, in the original language. Thinking of yourself more highly than you ought versus thinking of yourself with sober judgment. So what does he mean by the first one? Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. The nerdy Greek word, huper phroneo, thinking highly of oneself. What's he mean by that? Well, I'm gonna say this. I think that he's, what he's saying is this, that you shouldn't get stuck on the pride spectrum. Don't get stuck on the pride spectrum. What do I mean by that? 
See, I think it's easy for us to hear, don't think too highly of yourselves, and we're looking at that one person in our family, right? Or we're looking at that one personality type who walks in a room very confidently, knows exactly what we should all do, and says so, right? The arrogant person. That's what we, it's easy at first reading to think that's what he's targeting, and he absolutely is, but it's bigger than that. See, some think they're great and better than most. Some of us do. We know who we are in the room, right? That was never my problem. I have an other problem, but you know who you are, right? But some think they're flawed and worse than most. That's where I tended to live, have, have tended to live in my natural fleshly state. And those are the people who walk in the room and, and bless you, you have, you know, maybe you've struggled with clinical depression or real deep insecurity. Where are my introverts at, right? Like, you, you, you know, um, and it's easy if you're in that side of the spectrum to count yourself out and say, yeah, arrogant people, don't think of yourself too highly. And you gotta realize you got three fingers pointing back at you. Because pride is a spectrum. You've got, I'm awesome and I'm terrible, but what's the pronoun in both cases? I, me. See, in both cases, we're fixated on ourselves. See, some think they're great and better than most, some think they're flawed and worse than most, but all of us are prone to think mostly about ourselves. In both cases, who is the subject of the vast majority of your thoughts? Who's in the center? Whether you're thinking the world should revolve around you, why can't everyone get their act together and just do what I say? Or you're over here thinking that you're constantly lamenting the fact that no one sees me, no one cares about me. If only this church was a loving church, I would feel more whatever. If only my family would stop whatevering about me. If only I hadn't had to deal with the trauma that I've had to deal with. I, me, 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 I, I, I. Can we relate? It's an equal. This, see, this term is an equalizing term. So maybe the way I would translate it is don't think too much of yourself or don't think of yourself too much is what Paul's telling us. If you understand the gospel, if I've absorbed the gospel, the gospel solves for a lot of what drives me constantly to be walking in a room with me in the center of every thought that I have, monitoring and deciding what a situation means or what is going on based on how I'm affected by it. The gospel is gonna flip that. It's gonna solve for all of the gaps and wounds and challenges and broken thinking I have about myself so that I can walk into a room in a completely different Posture, which is what he gets at with this next word. Think of yourself soberly, all right? So what he's gonna tell us is think about, your, instead, think about yourself accurately, accurately. Sophroneo, same word, different prefix. Think of yourself accurately. And the word carries this idea of think reasonably, correctly about yourself. Have a proper, true, rooted in the facts perspective of yourself. And so if you're arrogant, probably that means you need to go back to Romans 1 through 3 and revisit that whole sin conversation. But if you're insecure and broken and constantly kind of groveling into a room and frustrated with the way the world has treated you, you might need to go back to Romans 4 through 8 and be reminded that God is the one who determines your value, not the people around you. That your confidence is not rooted in the response people give you. Whether they're doing this for you or loving on you. Your, your confidence, your peace, your sense of wholeness, your sense of identity, whichever area on that spectrum you are, is not rooted in your context where you learned how to view yourself. 
that whole data set you pulled from, and who can blame us? And what else do we have to go on until we meet Jesus? The whole way that you've developed your view of self is out of a data set that's been lying to you all along, driven by the prince of the power of the air to convince you that you're awesome or you're horrible. When Jesus comes in and says, yeah, you're sinful and broken, but I love you. And I'm gonna solve for that slowly over time and absolutely when you come to see me in heaven. And your value is because you're breathing and you're in my image. That's what your value's in. Not your performance or your failure. You follow? See, if the gospel is allowed to define my approach, my, my approach to myself, that changes everything. And I can think of myself reasonably, rightly. I can walk into any room with confidence, not arrogance, peace, not passivity. That's what he's calling us to transform into because of Romans 1 through 11. So let me say this, what you don't transform, you transmit. A good friend gave me this quote this week and it blew my mind and I loved it. What you don't transform, you transmit. It's a quote by a guy named Ronald Rollheiser. What you don't transform, you transmit. And this is my caution to you, especially if you've been running in Christian circles for a long time. If you jump this part of the conversation and go to application and make new laws for yourself and everyone around you for what maturity should do, the word should, it's the Christian S word, should, 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 should. Everybody should this, should that. Well, what if you're not? What that tells you is you haven't absorbed the gospel. You can should all you want and try and try and try, but if you haven't transformed in your view of yourself, you're just shooting everywhere. Can I be any more awkward? <laughs> Can I say that first Sunday out in January? Don't get your should on me. I don't want it. And I'm not minimizing the importance of holiness and righteousness and doing the right thing, but what the gospel is doing is freeing us from trying to force it unnaturally on a framework that can't hold it. That's Law, rules. The gospel transforms us to be someone out of whom I don't operate from should. I operate from desire, want to, discovery, invitation into the life of Christ. I just feel like I'm beating this horse to death, but I have needed that so much in my life, and I feel like I'm not alone in needing that. So what you don't transform, you transmit. Another way of saying this is an awesome quote that I'm ripping off from a dude I respect. He said, uh, hurt people hurt people, healthy people help people. And if you try to jump this text and start do, 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 without the healing work of the gospel, changing your attitude toward yourself, you're just going to bring all your garbage to everyone else and bring all of your hurt and translate it with all of the best intentions the best religious intentions, and just continue to hurt the people around you in the name of Jesus. You've been there? You've been in that church? You've been in that community of people who in the name of Jesus are just spewing their hurt everywhere, translated through shoulds? Stop it. Stop it. You don't have to live that way. The answers go back to Romans 1 through 11 and transform and absorb the gospel. Let it heal your identity, your attitude toward yourself. See, the gospel frees us from self-focus and allows us to focus on the needs of others, which is where he's gonna go next. If, a pro if I have a proper orientation in my guts, in my heart to the truth that I'm a sinner 
Anything of value I have is given to me in Christ, but he has given it to me. I have value in Christ and power in his name to grow and to help others grow. Then I can stop coming to the Christian community with this attitude of, what does it bring to me? Is this healthy? Is this safe? Is it what I want? Is it comfortable? And I, I can bring my healthy self, which is saying, what am I for it? I'm jumping the gun here. But that's what Paul's about to unpack. See, a proper attitude toward yourself helps you orient yourself with a proper approach to other people in the Christian community. So verses four and five, this is what he said. He's gonna give us a renewed concept of community. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. See, so he jumped from how do you view yourself, how to think about yourself, to now how to think about a community of believers. And he's seeing some heavy stuff. It's amazing how much he's packing into these short verses that are so easy to skip over. So the second area of renewal Paul addresses is our approach toward our relationships in our Christian community. As we renew our image of ourselves, we increase our ability to align ourselves with others in a right and godly way. And he's gonna use this cool image of a body, a human body, something every living human can relate to. I love how he does this. He doesn't pull from painting and random things that only some of us care about. He pulls from something we all can relate to, the human body, right? And, and what he's saying there is that the human body is an example of uni unity in diversity. As that is true, so it is in the Christian community. A proper approach to relationships in the Christian community is one that recognizes that I am a part of this in the same way that the hand is a part of my body. And it, the Christian community, is a part of me in the same way that my body is connected to my hand. That's a really uncomfortable and strong and direct statement that completely shifts the way all of Western Christians think about church, isn't it? Isn't it? That's not safe, man. Because if this is super dysfunctional and freaky and it hurts me and my view of self is constantly violated by this, I don't want any part of that, but I'm stuck, I'm in, I'm, I'm attached. That's, but that's the truth, like it or not. This is what he's saying. A proper, true approach to actual Christian community is one in which I recognize that I am I'm a part of it and it's a part of me. And what he's gonna go on and help us see is that that applies to me as it relates to the universal church. Every breathing Christian on the planet, everyone who names the name of Jesus in faith, having trusted him as their savior, I'm attached to. It applies to the universal church. Look in 12.5, he says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ. There's no qualifier, there's no limiting term there. We Christians, though many, are one body in Christ. I went to Uganda and I run into believers who have wildly different theological perspectives than I do within potential orthodoxy. Different culture, different approach, different smell, everything but I'm attached to them and they are attached to me. That's a proper orientation to the church universal. But then he's gonna get even more uncomfortable because look at what he says. He's gonna say that this also applies to each individual Christian in relationship to every other individual Christian. He uses the word individually. Individually members of one another. Okay. So each of you in the room who claim the name of Jesus are part of each other. You're part of me, I'm part of you. 
That is a proper and real and right approach to the Christian community. Anything less than that is unhealthy and untrue. That's terrifying. Because I like to isolate. I like to guard myself. I like to protect. I like to be very selective in who I will let be a part of my world and who I will choose to care about. I only have so much care units in me. And there's a lot more need than I have care units. I don't know how you measure a care unit, but if you figure it out, let me know. I just know mine are limited. My capacity is limited, and I'm a pretty selfish dude. Like, I, this is freaky stuff, but this is true. You don't get to skip it and call yourself healthy. So if we're gonna live out the gospel, what Paul says very clearly in this next verse, in this verse, uh, is that we must approach the Christian community as something we are inseparably linked to. Can I just punch you right in the face lovingly? Meaningful relationship with a local body of believers is not an option. I'm not trying to grow this church for my sake or anything. I'm just preaching what I have wrestled with so much in my life, wanting to isolate, struggling with church hurt, wanting to reduce the Christian experience to one where I can walk in the back of this auditorium and walk out, keep it surface, call myself mature. I just don't get to. I have not been able to. I'm not allowed to if I want to actually submit to the word of God and what he invites me to. So what this text and so many other texts in the New Testament is inviting you and me to do is to press through our hurt, our church hurt, our fear, our insecurity, our image of how everyone should bow at my feet and tell me I'm awesome, wherever you're at on the spectrum, to press through that and to do some things that don't come naturally, to build a skill set for relating to people who are different than me, people I don't like and who don't like me which incidentally is what he's going to talk about for the rest of the book. Helping us build a skill set for how to be unified and together in our diversity. In the name of Jesus. That's his application of the gospel in Romans. If I'm summing up the entire thing, it's how to be together even though we don't like each other. How to do that. It's a skill set that is so, we're so starved for. So there's no such thing as a healthy, isolated Christian. There's no such thing as an insulated, isolated Christian who is mature. It's not real. So we need to disabuse ourselves of our image of being mature if it doesn't include an indelible, unstoppable link connection to the Christian community in a meaningful way. So that's all gonna yield an action. If I have a proper approach, to myself, or a proper uh, uh, perspective on myself and a proper approach to the Christian community, that means I'm gonna have a specific set of actions, and that's where Paul's gonna take us in Romans 12, 6. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, and he's gonna list different, what we would call spiritual gifts, spiritual enablements that God gives the, each individual Christian, and there's multiple texts in the Bible that unpack this, he gives each of us specific spiritual enablements. And, and this is where we'd be understandably and rightly tempted to jump in. Ooh, what's mine? What do I do? How exactly? What's the rules for this? What are the perimeters, parameters for gifting and how we use them? And that's a good conversation to have. And in fact, I'm going to implore you to do just that. But it's not his point. 
This is not, Paul's agenda, or let me, let me just make this really clear. Right out of the gates, what he's saying here by giving us this list of gifts, he's saying that a right relationship to Christian community begins with service. If I have a proper orientation to the Christian community who, from a proper perspective of self that is healed and healing in the gospel, then I'm in a position not to come to the community saying, what do you give to me? But I'm actually in a position to serve the Christian community. That's the proper, healthy, gospel-driven way that I relate to the Christian community is a posture of serving, giving, approaching it with what can I bring to the table, not what does it bring to me. So we all have different gifts from God for the purpose of building others up in Christ. In a sister passage where he talks even more in depth about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 14, 12, what he's saying is, look, if you want gifts, cool, man. That's my Josh version. But strive, the point of those gifts is that we strive to excel in building up the church. Now, Again, if you're a legalist bent, stuck in rules, what you're going to hear is, get to work, you lazy bum. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is the avenue to a fully actualized, healthy rendering, a painting of Jesus in your life, is one that has you in a space where if you've absorbed the gospel, then the natural next step is to approach Christians from a posture of, what can I bring to you to help you know Jesus the way I do? To help you have a radical experience with Christ that transforms your life? How do I, what, what has God given me to bring to you? So Paul's agenda here isn't to give us an exhaustive list of gifts. Rather, he exhorts us to share the gifts we have with passion and commitment out of this healthy gospel framework. Okay? So passivity is my enemy. Isolation is my enemy. Withdrawal is my enemy. The, the path to knowing and walking with Jesus is sharing and doing what he did, which is laying down his life for others and serving other people. Not to earn the credit, not to impress anyone, not to impress myself. But we love why? Because he first loved us. My cup is filled with the gospel, and so I pour out naturally to others. That's what a healthy believer looks like. So final thought, the Christian community is a battleship, not a cruise ship. Anybody ever been on a cruise? It's okay. Yeah. And how do you rightly pick a cruise? Well, what's the food like? Is it all-inclusive? Does it have a water slide? Right? Are there going to be a lot of loud, crazy kids that are going to drive me nuts? Right? What's the entertainment like? These are right, and right ways of asking. You know, if I'm going to spend good money on a cruise on a vacation, these are the right questions to ask. The problem is, is that we have been primed as Western Christians to think of church that way, to think of community group that way. I will jump into a community group when it is safe, when there are compatible schedules, when all of our kids are the same age, when we have similar values. That's when I'll jump into community. I will come to a church based on the, the volume of the music, whether it's too loud or too quiet is gonna be a deal breaker for me. If it's hymns, I'm out, or if it's all this chorus crap, I'm out. Oh, you know, sorry. Uh, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't have any margin for, for seeing the value in a place outside of my demands and expectations, and I'm out. I'm not giving unless, I'm not paying to be here unless it, meets my expectations. You follow? That cruise attitude towards the church is 100%, 180 degrees pointed the opposite direction of a gospel perspective. In contrast, it's more of a battleship. And I'm not saying we're like blowing up culture. Rah! You know, there's scripture. We'll talk about what it means that we are on, that, that there is combat. There is battle to be done as believers. 
and how God wants us to think about that. What I mean by that is we're a battleship. In a battleship, man, you join the Navy not to be served. You join the Navy to serve your country. And you get on that ship and you talk to any sailor who's been on a ship and there's a camaraderie, there's a depth, there's a connection that comes with working hard with like-minded people who are on the same mission to get a job done together. You follow? I know who I am. I know what I'm here for. I know why I'm here and I know what to do. I, know my, I train on my skills. I bring, the, whether I'm a cook or I'm, or I'm dealing with the ammunition or I'm steering the ship or I'm swabbing the deck, we all matter. Every one of us, anyone goes overboard, doesn't matter if it's the cook or the guy with the mop, we are stopping the ship to save them right? Because all of us are critical and the mission is critical. The Michigan, the, the Michigan, the, sorry, I have Michigan on the mind. <laughs> National championship. Anyway, uh, uh, pray for that. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> but the mission is critical. The mission is critical. And that's why we're here. And I'm not looking to prove myself. I know what I am. You follow? The battleship image is the image we're given for the Christian community? What do I bring to this community group? If it's a dumpster fire of brokenness, okay, Lord, this is hard. I gotta have boundaries, I gotta be wise, but I'm absolutely gonna move in and try to bring value. You follow? Beating that horse to death. Okay, so quick application. What do we do with this? A couple things. One, I'm gonna challenge you this week to assess your attitude toward yourself and your approach toward the Christian community. Ask yourself two very, very hard questions and give yourself some time to think about them. It'll be worth it. This is not a shame environment. Christ took all of our shame and all of our sin. We're not shooting. We are bringing our actual selves to Christ with these questions. Am I thinking more of myself than others? How much RAM am I spending on me versus the people around me? Who's the subject of every thought sentence I have? Okay, and explain that. Am I relating to the Christian community as a cruise ship or a battleship? Am I being super selective? Or am, I, or am I actually bringing the gifts that I have, what God has enabled me to do to the people around me to try to help them grow? And why? That'll tell you a lot about the work that might still need to be done in Romans 1 through 11 in your life. Maybe that will help you reset on your devotional life this year and jump back to Romans 1 for a while and work your way through. And the second thing is this, I would absolutely encourage you to apply your gifts. Wherever you're at in the spectrum, man, God's calling you to discover the adventure of jumping on that battleship and bringing your gifts to bear on the believers around you, right? So if you don't know your spiritual gifts, cool, man. I've spent a huge chunk of my life wrestling with that question for myself. And so there's, there's, I would encourage you, go do a spiritual gifts assessment. In your notes, there's a QR code on the back page uh, for, for a, light, a simple LifeWay spiritual gifts assessment. There's others out there. I'd highly encourage you to just Take a quick look and get a sense of maybe how you've been wired to bring value to people around you. Best advice I can give you, though, is to try serving in new areas of ministry. I'll never forget my buddy Scott Henderson. I was a youth pastor in the Detroit, Michigan area, and he comes to me and he says, I'm just a behind-the-scenes server. That's my spiritual gift. I love it, I love it, I love it. And I looked at him, I was like, Scott, do you understand that the measure of a spiritual gift is not whether you like it or not, whether you enjoy it or not, the measure of a spiritual gift is whether the people around you are growing in Christ as a result of what you're doing. And he looked at me and I said, and that's why I think you need to be our middle school director. <laughs> Suckered him into it, me and a couple buddies. And the thing is, uh, we are now almost 15 years later and guess what he's still doing? Middle school director, Solid Rock Bible Church, Plymouth, Michigan. Dude's incredible. He was as shocked as anybody. Actually, I wasn't shocked at all. He was 
and, and, and kids, he's seeing weddings and children born out of the kids that his spiritual gift of leadership and administration and loving on and discipling kids. So let me just challenge you. If you don't know your gift, try some things. Man, jump into kids' ministry. Gentlemen, listen. You might be shocked that you are gifted to help a baby stop crying and to have a better experience here. Literally. You might be shocked to find out that you love running with three and four-year-olds in kids' ministry. Lord knows we need the help. I tried it. Turns out it's not my gift. (laughs) But I tried. I really did. Ask my wife. So let me encourage you. Night to shine. Find a way to serve. Challenge yourself. Try some different things. If you're wondering how you can do that at ECC, another helpful QR code on the back of your notes to see some opportunities for how you can jump in. And finally, just get some input from other people. Best way to find out how you're built is to get feedback from other people. With that, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna move to worship. Father, thanks for your love. Thanks that you give us the gospel and, and you show us what it looks like. You paint us a picture of what it looks like to become like you and to be fully transformed. In Jesus' name, amen.